Welcome to Reading to Kids podcast. I'm your host, Jenna. And I'm your host, Peyton. And we're here to read to you or with you. We know that sometimes moms and dads don't always have the time or the motivation to read to their kids each night, and we know how important it is. So, on those nights that you're not in the mood, we're going to do it for you. Can't wait to read with you. Good job, Peyton. High five. She's ready to the Freddy. You ready, Freddy? Oh, perfect. She's yawning just as we start. Perfect. Are you going to fall asleep on me? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay, ready? A series of unfortunate events. Book the seventh, The Vile Village. Chapter two. When you are traveling by bus, it is difficult to decide whether you should sit in a seat or by, by the window or seat in the aisle or seat in the middle. If you take an aisle seat, you have the advantage of being able to stretch your legs whenever you'd like, but you have the disadvantage of people walking by you. And they can accidentally step on your toes or spill something on your clothes. If you take a window seat, you have an advantage of getting a clear view of the scenery, but you have a disadvantage of watching insects die as they hit the glass. Okay, that's strange. If you take a I know. If you take a middle seat, you have neither of these advantages and you will have the added disadvantage of people leaning all over you when they fall asleep. That's just like on an airplane too. You can see all at once why you should always arrange to hire a limousine or rent a mule rather than take the bus to your destination. Or you can ride ride your bike. Or you can, like, drive your own car. Yeah. (laughs) The Baudelaire orphans, however, did not have the money to hire a limousine, and it would have taken them several weeks to reach VFD by mule. So they were traveling to their new home by bus. The children had thought that it might make might take a lot less effort to convince Mr. Poe to choose VFD as their new village guardian. But right when they saw the three, right when they saw the three initials on the brochure, one of Mr. Poe's telephones rang. And by the time he was off the phone, he was too busy to argue. All he had time to do was make arrangements with the city government and take them to the bus station. As he saw them off, a phrase here which means put the Baudelaire's on the bus rather than doing the polite thing and taking them to their new home personally. He instructed them to report to the town hall of VFD and make them promise not to do anything that would ruin his bank's reputation. Before they knew it, Violet was sitting on an aisle seat, brushing the dirt off of her coat and rubbing her sore toes. And Klaus was sitting in a window seat, gazing at the scenery through a layer of dead bugs. Sunny sat between them, gnawing on the armrest. No lean, she said sternly to her brother, and he smiled. Don't worry, Sunny, he said. We'll make sure that we'll make sure not to lean on you if we fall asleep. We don't have much time for napping anyways. We should be at VFD any minute now. What do you think you could stand for? Violet asked. Neither the brochure nor the map at the bus station showed anything more than the three initials. I don't know, Klaus said. Do you think that we should have told Mr. Poe about the VFD secret? Maybe he could have helped us. I doubt it, Violet said. He hasn't been very helpful before. I wish the Quagmires were here. I bet they could help us. He'd probably say, (laughs) 30 bad days. 
<laughs> what? He'd probably say their imagination, like SpongeBob. Imagination. Yes, you're right. He's kind of a ding dong, huh? He's like, <laughs> I'm a ding dong. I wish the quagmires were here even so, so they could help us, Klaus said, but his sisters nodded in agreement. No Baudelaire had to say anything more about how worried they were about the triplets, and they sat in silence for the rest of the ride, hoping that their arrival at VFD would bring them closer to saving their friends. VFD, the bus driver, oh, VFD, the bus driver finally called out, next stop, VFD, if you look out the window, you can see the town coming up, folks. What does it look like? Violet asked Klaus. Klaus peered out the window, past the layer of dead bugs. Flat, he said. Violet and Sunny leaned over to look and saw that their brother had spoken the truth. The countryside looked as if somebody had drawn a line at the horizon. The word horizon here means the boundary of where the sky ends and the world begins. And then he forgot to draw anything else. The land stretched out as far as one eye could see, but there was nothing for the eye but the flat, dry land that the that the occasional sheet of newspaper stirred up by the, by the passing of the bus. I don't see any town at all, Klaus said. Do you suppose it's underground? Noveldry, said Sunny, which means living underground would be no fun at all. Well, maybe that's the town over there, Violet said, squirming to see as far as she could. You see, way out there by the horizon line, there's a black, hazy blur. It looks like smoke. Maybe it's just some buildings from far away. I can't see it, Klaus said. That smushed moth is blocking it. I th I think, but a hazy blur could just be a fata moringa. A fata, Sunny said. Fata moringa is when your eyes play tricks on you, particularly in hot weather, Klaus explained. It is caused by creating the disorientation of a light through the alternate layer of the hot and cold air. He's so smart. Also called a mirage. But I like the name Fata Moringa better. Me too, Violet agreed. But let's hope it's not a Fata Moringa. Let's hope it's VFD. VFD, the bus driver called as the bus came to a stop. VFD, everybody, off for VFD. The Baudelaire stood up, gathered their belongings, and walked down the aisle. <sighs> and walked down the aisle. But when they reached the open door of the bus, they stopped and stared doubtfully at the flat and empty landscape. Is this really the stop for VFD, Violet asked the driver. I thought VFD was a town. It is, the bus driver replied. Just walk around the hazy black blurb out there on the horizon. I know it looks like, well, I can't remember the phrase when your eyes play tricks on you, but it's really a town. Couldn't you just take us a little closer, Violet asked shyly. We have a baby with us and it looks like a long way to walk. Wish I could help you, said the bus driver, kindly looking down at Sunny, but the counselor of the elders has very strict rules. I have to let all passengers for VFD right here. Otherwise, it would be severely punished. I would be severely punished. Who is the counselor of, council of the elders? Klaus asked. Hey, a voice called from the back. Tell those kids to hurry up and get off the bus. The bus door is letting bugs in. Off you go, kids, the bus driver said, and the Baudelaire stepped out of the bus and onto the flat land of VFD. The door shut, and with a little wave of the bus driver, off he left and left the children in the empty landscape. The siblings watched the, bugs, the bus get smaller and smaller as it drove away. 
and then it turned towards the hazy and then turned towards the hazy oh and then they turned towards the hazy black blur of their new home i thought the bus driver breath did i was like what the well now i can see it klaus said squinting behind his glasses but i can't believe it it's gonna take us the rest <sighs> the rest of the afternoon to walk all that way well then we'd better get started violet said hoisting sunny on top of the suitcase this is this piece of luggage has wheels she said to her sister so you can sit on top of it and i'll pull you along <gasps> sink sunny meant which meant that's very considerate of you and the bodelers began their long walk towards the hazy black blur on the horizon even after the first few steps the disadvantages of the bus ride seemed like small potatoes Small potatoes is a phrase here which has nothing to do with root vegetables. It just happens to be a tiny size. Instead, it refers to the change in one's feeling for something when it's compared to something else. If you're walking in the rain, for instance, you might be worried about getting wet. But if you turned the corner and saw a pack of vicious dogs getting wet, it would suddenly become small potatoes next to getting chased down in the alley and barked at, or possibly eaten as the Baudelaire's began their long journey towards VFD, dead bugs, B, a VFD, dead bugs stepped on toes and possibly some of the leaning, someone leaning on them because of small potatoes next to far more unpleasant things they were encountering. Without anything else on the flat land to blow up against, the wind concentrated its effort on violet, a phrase here which means that long before her hair was so wildly tangled that it looked like it had never seen a comb because Klaus was standing behind Violet and the wind hadn't blown him as much. But without anything else in the empty landscape to cling to, the dust on the ground concentrated its efforts on the middle Baudelaire. And soon he was dusty from head to toe as if he had been, it had been years since he had taken a shower. Perched on top of Violet's luggage, Sunny was out of the way of the dust, but with anything else in the desolate terrain to shine on, the sun concentrated its efforts on her, which means that she would soon be a sunburn as a baby who spent six months at the seashore instead of a few hours on top of a suitcase. <laughs> Sorry guys, I'm doing a page count. Oh my gee, many Chrysler. Okay. But as they approached the town, VFD still looked as hazy as it did from far away. As the children drew closer and closer to their new home, they could see a number of buildings in different heights and different widths, separated by streets both narrow and wide, and the Baudelaire's could even see the tall, dark, skinny shapes of the lampposts, flagposts, flagpoles stretching out towards the sky. But everything they saw from the tip of the highest building to the curve of the narrowest street was pitch black and seemed to be shaking slightly as if the entire town were painted on a piece of cloth that was trembling in the wind. The buildings were trembling and the lampposts were trembling and even those streets were shaking ever so slightly and it was like no town the Baudelaire's had ever seen. It was a mystery, but unlike any mysteries, one, once the children reached the outskirts of VFD and learned that it was what was causing the trembling effect, they did not feel any better to have the, mis the mystery solved. The town was covered in crows. Nearly every inch of it 
of the object had a black bird roosting on it and casting a suspicious eye on the children as they stood in the edge of the village. There were crows sitting on the roofs of the building, perched on the windowsills, squatting on the steps and the sidewalks. Crows were covering all of the trees from the very top of the branches and the roots, peeking over the ground, peeking over the co crow-covered ground and were gathered in large groups on the streets for crow conversations. The crows were covering the lamppost and flagpoles, and they were they were flying down the gutters and resting between the fence posts. There were even six crows crowded together in the sign that read Town Hall with an arrow leading down a crow-covered street. The crows weren't squawking or cawing, which is what crows often do, or playing trumpet, which crows practically never do, but the town was far from silent. The air was filled with sounds that crows made as they moved around. Sometimes one crow would fly across to perch on another, as if it had suddenly become a board roosting on a mailbox. And though it might be much more fun to perch on a doorknob or on, of a building, occasionally several crows would flutter their wings as if they were stiff from sitting together on a bench and wanted to stretch a little bit. And almost constantly the crows would shift they're in their places, trying to make themselves as comfortable as they could in such cramped quarters. All of this motion explained why the town had looked so shivery in the distance, but it certainly didn't make the Baudelaire's feel any better as they stood together in silence for quite some time, trying to figure out the courage, find the courage to walk among all these fluttering birds. I've read three books about crows, Klaus said. They're perfectly harmless. Yes, I know, Violet said. It's unusual to see so many crows in one place, but there's nothing to worry about. It's small potatoes. Zimzazu, Sunny agreed, but the three children still did not step any closer to the crow-covered town. Despite what they had said to one another, the crows were harmless birds and that, had no that they had nothing to worry about, and Zimsuter, which meant something along the lines of, it would be silly to be afraid of a bunch of birds. The Baudelaire's felt that they were encountering some very large potatoes indeed. If I had been one of the Baudelaire's myself, I would have stood at the edge of the town for the rest of my life, whimpering with fear rather than take even one step closer to the crow-covered streets, but it only took the Baudelaire's a few minutes to walk up the courage to, to work up the courage to walk through all of the muttering, scuffling birds to town hall. This isn't as difficult as I thought it might be, Violet said in a quiet voice, not to disturb the crows closest to her. It's not exactly small potatoes, but there's enough space between the groups of crows to step. That's true, Klaus said, his eyes on the sidewalks to avoid stepping on any crow tails. And they tend to move aside just a little bit as we walk by. Raka, Sunny said, crawling as carefully as she could. She meant something along the lines of, it's almost like walking through a quiet but polite crowd of short, very short people, and her siblings smiled in agreement. Before too long, they had walked the entire block of the crow-lined street, where there at the corner was the first tall, impressive building that appeared in the middle of a white marble, at least as far as the Baudelaire's could tell, because it was covered with crows, and the rest of the neighborhood, even the, even the sign reading Town Hall, looked like it read, W-N-H-A, because the enormous crows were perched on the side of it, gazing up at the Baudelaire's with their tiny beady eyes. Violet raised her hand to knock on the door, but then paused. What's the matter, Klaus said. Nothing, Violet said, but her hand still in the air. I guess I'm just a little skittish after all of this town hall VFD. For all we know, behind this door, the secret we've been looking for since the quagmires could be the secret we've been looking for since the quagmires were first kidnapped. Maybe we shouldn't get our hopes up, Klaus said. Remember, when we lived with the squalors, we thought we would have solved VFD. 
the VFD mystery, but we were wrong. We could be wrong this time too. But we could be right, Violet said, and if we're right, we should be prepared to do whatever terrible thing is behind that door. Unless we're wrong, Klaus pointed out, then we've nothing to be prepared for. Gaksu, said Sunny, which meant something along the lines of, there's no point in arguing because we'll never know what's right behind that door until we knock on it. And before her siblings could answer, she crawled around Klaus's leg and took a plunge, a phrase here which means knocked on the, firmly on the door with her tiny knuckles. Come in, called a very grand voice, and the Baudelaire's opened the door and found themselves in a large room with a very high ceiling and a very shiny floor and long bench with very detailed portraits of hanging crows on the wall. In front of the bench was a small platform where a woman on a motorcycle helmet was standing, and behind the platform were perhaps 100 folding chairs, most of which had a person sitting in them who was staring at the Baudelaire orphans. But the Baudelaire orphans were not staring back. The three children were staring so hard at the people sitting on the bench they scarcely glanced at the folding chairs at all. On the bench sitting stiffly side by side were 25 people who had got two things in common. The first thing was that they all were quite old. The youngest person on the bench, a woman sitting at the far end, looked to be about 81 years of age, and everyone else was quite older. By this, but the second thing they had in common was far more interesting. At first glance, it looked like a few crows had flown in from the streets and roosted at the bench at the bench sitter's head but the baudelaires looked more closely and saw that the crows did not blink their eyes or flutter their wings or move at all in any way and the children realized that they were nothing more than black hats made such a way to resemble actual crows it was such a strange kind of hat to be wearing but the children found themselves staring for quite a few minutes without noticing anything else are you the Baudelaire orphan? asked one of the old men who was sitting on the bench in a gravely voice. He asked his, he, as he talked, his crow hat flapped slightly, which only made it look more ridiculous. We've been expecting you, although I thought I wasn't told you would look so terrible. You three are most, are the most windswept, dusty, and sunburned children I have ever seen. Are you sure you're the children that we've been waiting for? It's rude. Yes, Violet replied. I'm Violet Baudelaire, and this is my brother Klaus and my sister Sunny. The reason why... Shush, one of the older men said. We're not discussing you right now. Rule 492 clearly states that the Council of the Elders will discuss anything on the platform. Right now, we're discussing our chief of police. Are there any questions from the townspeople regarding Officer La, La Quanta? Uh, yes, I have a question, called out a man in plaid pants. I want to know what happened to our private chief police. I liked that guy. The woman on the platform held up a white glove in her hand, and the Baudelaire's turned to look for the first time. Officer Luciana was a very tall woman wearing big black boots, a blue coat with shiny with a shiny badge, and a motorcycle helmet with the visor pulled down to cover her eyes. The Baudelaire's could see her mouth below the edges of the visor, covered in bright red lipstick. The previous chief police has a sore throat, she said, turning her helmet to the man who asked the question. He accidentally swallowed a box of thumbtacks, but let's not waste time talking about him. I'm, sh I'm your new chief of police, and I will make sure that the rule breakers in town are punished properly. I can't see that there's anything more to discuss. Well, I quite agree with you, the first elder who had spoken said, as the people in the folding chairs nodded. The counselor of the elders hereby ends the discussion of the law officer Luciana. Hector, please bring the orphans to the platform for discussion. 
a tall, skinny man, rumpled with in rumpled overalls, stood up in front of the folding chairs as the chief of police stepped on the platform with a lip-sticked smile on. His eyes on the floor, the man walked over to the Baudelaire's and pointed at the first counter of the Council of the Elders, sitting on the bench, and then emptied the platform. Although they would have, although they would have preferred a polite method of communication, the children understood. Bumpin' a bum. The children understood that once, and Violet and Klaus stepped out on the platform and then lifted Sunny up to join them. One of the women in the council of the elders spoke up. We are now discussing the guardianship of the Baudelaire orphans. Under a new government program, entered the entire town of VFD will act as guardians over these children because it takes a village to raise a child. Are there any questions? Are these the same Baudelaire's, a voice came from the back room, who were involved in the kidnapping of the Quagmire twins by Count Omar? The Baudelaire's turn around to see the woman dressed in a bright pink bathrobe holding up a cup of the daily punctilio, and it says here that the newspaper that an evil count is coming after those children. I don't want someone like that in our town. We've taken care of that matter, Miss Morrow, replied another member of the council, soothingly. We will explain in a moment. Now, when the children have when the children have a guardian, the guardian makes them do chores. So follow so it follows that you Baudelaire's will do all of the chores for the entire village. Beginning tomorrow, you three children will be responsible for anything that anyone asks you to do. The children looked at each other in disbelief. Begging your pardon, Klaus said timidly, but those are only but there are only twenty four hours in a day, and there appears to be several hundred townspeople here. How do we find the time in every to do everyone's chores? Hush. Several members of the council said in unison, and then the youngest-looking woman spoke up. Rule number 920 clearly states that not one may talk while the other is on the platform unless you are a police officer. You're orphans, not police officers, so shut up. Oh my gosh. Yikes. Now, due to the VFD crows, you will be ha- you will have to arrange your crow your chore schedule as follows. In the morning, the crows roost up uptown so that's when you'll do all the downtown chores so the crows don't get in your way in the afternoon you can see the crows roost downtown so you'll do the uptown chores please pay particular attention to the new fountain which was just installed this morning it is very beautiful and needs to be kept as clean as possible at night the crows roost in the nevermore tree which is outside which is the outskirts of the town so there's no problem there are there any questions? Um, I have a question, the man in the plaid pants said. He stood up and, from his folding chair and pointed to the Baudelaire's. Where are they going to live? It may take a village to raise a child, but that doesn't mean that our homes have to be disturbed by noisy children, does it? Yes, agreed Mrs. Morrow. I'm all in for the orphans doing chores, but I don't want them cluttering up my home. Several other townspeople spoke up. Here, here, he said, using an expression here, which means I don't want Violet and Klaus and Sunny Baudelaire to live with me either. One of the oldest looking elders raised both of his hands in the air. Please, he said, there is no reason for all of this fuss. 
The children will live with Hector and our handyman. He will feed them, clothe them, and make sure that they do all the chores, and he is responsible for teaching them all of the roles of VFD, so they don't do anything, any more terrible things, such as walking on platforms. Thank goodness for that, muttered, muttered the man in plaid pants. Now, the Baudelaire said yet an now Baudelaire said yet another member of the council. She was sitting far from that platform so that she had to crane her head and look at the children and and her hat looked like it would fall off her head before Hector t- Hector takes this house he takes you to his house. I'm sure you have concerns of your own. It's too bad that you're not allowed to speak right now, otherwise you could tell us what they were. But Mr. Post sent us some material regarding this Count Olaf person. Omar corrected the morrow, pointing to the headline of the newspaper. Silence, said the elder. Now, Baudelaire's, I am sure you are very concerned about this Olaf fellow, but as your guardian, the town will protect you. That is why I have receded, recently made an up a new role, role number 19,833. It clearly states that no villains are allowed within the city limits. Hear, hear, said the townspeople. As they cried out, the council of the elders nodded in appreciation, bobbing their crow-shaped hats. Now, if there are no more questions, an elder, an elder concluded, Hector, please take these Baudelaire's off of the platform and take them to your house. Still keeping his eye on the floor, the man in overalls strode silently to the platform and led them out of the room. The children, the children hurried to catch up with the handyman, but who but had not said one word this whole time. Was he unhappy to be taking care of three children? Was he angry at the council elders? Was he unable to speak at all? It reminded the Baudelaire's of one of the Count Olaf's associates, the one that looked like neither a man nor a woman who could never seem to speak. The children kept a few steps behind Hector as he walked out of the building, almost afraid to get any to get close to a man who was so strange and silent. When Hector opened the door of the town hall and led the children back to the crow-covered sidewalk, he let out a big sigh. The first sound that the children heard, the first sound that the children had heard from him. Then he looked down at each Baudelaire and gave them a gentle smile. "I never truly relaxed," he said. He said to them in a pleasant voice until I left town hall. The councils of the elders makes me feel skittish. All those strict rules. It makes me feel so skittish that I never speak during one of those council meetings. But I always feel much better in the moment. I walk out of the building. Much better in the moment I walk out of the building. Now, it looks like we're going to spend some a quite amount of time together. So, let's get a few things straight. Number one, call me Hector. Number two, I hope you like Mexican food because that is my specialty. And three, I want you to see something marvelous. And we're just in time. The sun is starting to set. It was true. The Baudelaire's had, hadn't noticed that they stopped. They stepped out of town hall at that afternoon light had just slipped away and the sun was starting to begin to dip below the horizon. It's lovely, Violet said politely, although she'd never understood all the fuss about standing around admiring sunsets. Shh, Hector said. Who cares about the sunset? Just be quiet for a minute and watch the crows. It should happen any second now. What should happen, Klaus said. Shh, Hector said again, and, the be- and then it began to happen. The council of the elders already told the Baudelaire's about the roosting habits of the crows, but the three children hadn't really given them 
given the matter a second thought, a phrase here which means considered even a second what it would look like when thousands of crows would fly together to a new location. One of the largest crows sitting at the top of the mailbox was the first to fly up in the air and rise with a rustle of wings. He or she was so hard to tell from far away, began to fly in a large circle over the children's head. Then a crow from town hall from the town hall's window flew up to join the first crow and then one from a nearby bush and then three from the street and then hundreds of crows began to rise up all at once and circle the air as if it were an enormous shadow being lifted from the town the baudelaires could finally see all the streets look what all the streets looked like and they could gaze at each detail of the building as more and more crows left their afternoon roost roosts but the children scarcely looked at the town. Instead, they looked straight up at the mysterious and beautiful sight of all of those birds making a huge circle in the sky. Isn't it marvelous? Hector cried. His long, skinny arms were outstretched. And he had to raise his voice over the sound of the fluttering wings. Isn't it marvelous? Violet, Klaus, and Sunny nodded in agreement and stared at the 3,000 crows circling and circling above them like a mass of fluttering smoke or black fresh ink, such as the ink I am using right now to write down these events, that somehow has found its way to the heavens. The sound of the wings sounded like a million pages being flipped in the wind from all of that fluttering and blew their grinny, grinning faces. For a moment, with all the air that rushed towards them, the Baudelaire orphans felt as if they too could fly up in the air, away from Count Olaf and all of their troubles, and join the circle of crows in the evening sky. Pretty cool. And Peyton fell asleep a long time ago. That was a long chapter, huh? Yikes. <laughs>